There's me and a good friend of mine, Si. Now, you might know him from the, uh, from the quiz a few weeks ago. Um, now, me and Si lived together. So about 10 years ago, we were just out of uni. Me and Si, we uh, lived together. And as you can imagine, a couple of guys in their early 20s, the standard of clean living was not particularly strong. Um, it was to the extent... and. If you've lived in a, a student house or anything like that before, then you might know that um, often the, the kitchen bin was the, the standard. It got, it got a weekly clean that we, you know, we would take out. But the rest of the week, if you could place your rubbish on top of the bin without it toppling over then, and get out of the kitchen, then you were fine. Yeah? Obviously, if it did topple over and go on the floor, we'd clear it up. Yeah? We had some standards. But... Um, but Generally, our standards weren't particularly strong. Now, a few years before that, we'd actually lived together at uni, and there'd been um, a, few, a few girls who had lived with us as well, and their standards of cleaning was slightly different to ours. And maybe if you're in a, a communal house at the moment, you've got something which is a rotor. Um, and I don't know if you can see this, but they do hoover... I mean, this wasn't ours... But uh, ours was colour-coordinated because I live with primary school teachers. So um, <laughs> the, the hoovering they do Monday, Wednesday, Friday and Sunday, okay? That definitely didn't happen with us. And, um, but basically, so these, the girls who we live with, they tried their hardest to get us to do some decent amount of cleaning. And to be honest, and uh, this is probably the same with anyone who tries and does one of these rotors, it doesn't really work. Okay, it certainly didn't work for us. Um, we we had a an old mug of tea which um, which was in the kitchen for a while. It started to grow mould, and then we thought, I wonder what will happen if we leave it a little bit longer, or uh, or a little bit longer. And I'm pretty sure that wasn't on the rotor to uh, to do it. Ended up in the shed because instead of like chucking it away or cleaning it, we thought we'll just put it in the shed and see what happens. Um, but anyway, so. So why am I saying this? Well, because it's funny, but um, also because as we look at fruitfulness and as we look at um, living fruitful lives, and today we're going to be moving on to goodness, I want you to know that actually it's not something that we can do in our own strength, yeah? And also that it's, it's not something that we need to just have a rotor for. So we've heard some brilliant talks over the last few weeks about peace, about patience, about joy, about all kinds of things. But it's not that we can just say, okay, on Monday, I'm going to be more joyful. On Tuesday, I'm going to wake up and I'm going to be, I'm going to be really peaceful. It doesn't work like that. And it's not going to work the same as we look for goodness as well. And so as we look at goodness, if you're a Christian here today, I hope there's going to be some encouragement for you to spur you on um, to, do, to do good and to explain to you the reason that we do that. Um, if you're not a Christian here, actually there's going to be some really important bits for you to, to grasp as well. And hopefully it will give you more of an understanding about why Christians do what they do as well. So hopefully there will be something for everyone. And um, so yes, yeah, so we're going to be looking at goodness. And my, my sort of like measure of being good and doing good might be different to yours. And you might say to me, okay, well, I need to do this, that, and the other to do good. And I will say exactly the same to you. And we might have completely separate lists. But actually, our measure of goodness needs to come from God. And what we're going to look at 
and this is going to be our, our talk for today. Basically, there's, the first half is just going to be looking at our measure of goodness being God. And, and then we're going to look at our response, our reward, and our responsibility. And that's going to be around a passage in Galatians 6, which um, we will look at in a little while. I'm going to root it all in the Bible, so there's going to be quite a lot of Bible verses um, as part of it. And the reason being is that you might have had an absolutely atrocious week. Yeah, you might have had a really wonderful week. You might have been really stressed all week. You might have had quite a, quite a chilled week or anywhere in between. But actually, these truths that we're going to be speaking about today are going to be true for you, regardless of where you're at today. So, three mini points within the first half. So, firstly, the goodness of God. Let's look at some Bible verses. So, Exodus 33, 18 to 19. Then Moses said... Now let me see your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. God himself is good. Moses asked to see God's glory. And God says, I'm going to show you my goodness. It's going to pass in front of you. Something of his character, something of his nature, something of his compassion for people, his mercy for people, passes before Moses. And we read later on, the psalmist says to us, the Lord is good and his love endures forever. When we think about people who are good in our lives, we think about people who, you know, who love us. But this is God and his measure is so far above that, it endures forever. So it spans time and eternity. We said that, we sang that this morning. We've also got a God who's good to all. So it not only just goes, is eternal, but it goes to all people as well. He has compassion on all that he has made. And so our, our measure of good isn't it just doesn't cut it. And when we say, when we think about, okay, what's good and what's not, actually when we're thinking about God being good, this, you know, sometimes our understanding of it doesn't quite cut it. And so, Andrew Wilson, in his book Incomparable, shares something about milk, okay? And this is going to be helpful for us this morning. I could say to you that the milk here is white, okay? That would be true, Okay, and that would be a description of it. But there's also other things which are white as well. Yeah, there's t-shirts, there's trainers, there's teeth, there's snow. But those things which are white doesn't mean that, that they're milk. Yeah, milk might be white, but everything that's white isn't milk. However, if I said to you, and this is the dictionary definition... Milk is a whitish liquid containing proteins, fats, lactose and various vitamins and minerals that is produced by the mammary glands of all mature female mammals after they give birth and serves as nourishment for their young. Well, you can see that there's more weight to the definition. Yeah, it's not just a description, it's a definition. All of a sudden, wherever we've got milk, this statement's true. And wherever this statement's true, we have milk. And so when we're saying that God's good... We're actually saying that everything that's good is from God as well. Yeah, we're saying that all goodness that you see in the world, whether it be in relationships, whether it be 
you know, in your workplace, whether it be in your family life, actually all the goodness of that comes from God as well. It's a much bigger definition. And so what I want us to understand is that actually our goodness, our measure of goodness is God. It's so far above what we, what we think, what we can imagine. Yeah, it's a much higher calling. And so looking at God's goodness as creator, got a few scriptures here as well. Everything God created is good. God created mankind in his image. Well, we know God's good, so therefore mankind must be good. And he actually says this a couple of verses later as well. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. God made mankind. He gave them everything which was good. He gave them paradise. They just had one restriction. Yeah, many of you will know this. They were restricted that if they ate from the tree of good and evil, they would surely die. But they couldn't, they couldn't help themselves but actually succumb to that temptation from the devil. Tempted by the devil's call that they would be like God and no good from evil, they took from the tree, disobeyed God, and spiritually died. All of a sudden, this good God, the connection with the good God is lost. And, and our measure of goodness is gone. And we end up trying to judge for ourselves what's good and what's bad. From that moment, actually, people didn't know God, so they couldn't discern what was truly good and truly evil. Isaiah 5.20 says that there's those who call good evil, there's those who call evil good. And we know that in today's world as well. There's some people who call things good, which we would call not so good. And there's some people who would call things which are bad, which are good. And it's just very confusing. And actually what's my good might be different to your good. And if, if I have to step over some people in order for a good thing at the end, then that's okay. But actually our understanding of what's good becomes, well, it's, well I, I decide. I decide for myself. Thank you very much. The consequences of this is that, well, my good and your good fall short of God's good. Okay? It's like if I took my, my dad's golf club, okay, and I went down to Bournemouth, I went to Boscombe Pier. This is Boscombe Pier here, actually. Okay? And I went to the end of it, and I was like, okay, which one of us can hit this golf ball the furthest? Okay, which one of us can can get it as far as we can you know who's going to win because we like competition and I'd swing back I'd avoid all this expensive stuff obviously yeah this wouldn't be on Boscombe Pier right I'd swing back and as you can see my technique isn't great so you'd probably win anyway okay so so I might be able to on a good day might be able to get it 100 150 yards who knows you might be able to get it a couple of hundred yards probably get it further than me neither of us are getting it to France. And that's, that's the reality of how far we fall short of God's goodness. Yeah, we try our best. We try our best to do good. But actually, we are so far short of what God's goodness is that, well, it, apparently there'd be no hope. 
And this draws us a little bit, and, and it was quite, it was really good actually, what, um, what Marion shared earlier. It so well ties in, you know, the fact, the fact that, well, it says in Romans that there's no one who does good, not even one. And, and we know that actually there's, you know, us in and of ourselves. Yeah, we fall so far short of God. The answer is in the cross. It's in Jesus' sacrifice. And, and if you've got questions about, well, is God good? Yeah, I don't really see the goodness of God in today's world. I don't really see it in, as, I, as I read about in the Old Testament. I don't really, read, don't really understand how God can be good and, and all these things happen around me. Well, we need to look at it through the lens of the gospel. We need to look at it through the lens of actually being like, well, actually, Jesus' sacrifice means above and beyond that God is good because he made a way. He made a way that we could actually know God. Jesus, who went around doing good to all people, then took on our bad, our rebellion. He took on, we sang this this morning, our guilty stains for his righteousness. Yeah? This is what we've been singing about this morning, and it's true. The standard that we could never reach, Jesus reached it for us. That we could know our Heavenly Father through what he's done. A great exchange has taken place. And all of a sudden, doing good is a possibility because actually we do know that good God and we know who he is. And it says in Ephesians 2.10, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Yeah, because of what God's done on the cross, we can actually know God, we can know this good God, and we can live in the goodness of that and do good works. Not because, not, it's not because of those good works. Any reading of like Paul's letters will tell you that it's actually about grace and not works. But actually it does lead us into, lead us into good works. Okay, we're going to land on the passage in Galatians now. Which we're going we're gonna to be for the next 15 minutes or so. Galatians 6, 7 to 10. We're going to be focusing on verses 9 to 10. The bits which I've underlined there. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit... From the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So, firstly, our response, our response to all this about the goodness of God. Well, it's Paul says. Let's not grow weary in doing good. The very fact that Paul mentions this says that it's a possibility for us. Yeah? We know that there's, I know that there's many of you who serve week in, week out, and maybe you become very weary of it. I know there's many of you who will, in your day-to-day life at your workplace, will try your best to do good. And, and it gets tiring, doesn't it? Sometimes we'll 
as, as Christians, we might think, okay, well, I'm going to try and do good for those who don't know Jesus. And, and it kind of feels that they're not actually getting any closer to knowing God at all. Yeah, it's, it becomes a bit demoralizing, doesn't it? Sometimes we can try and do good for those within the church, Jesus followers, Christians, and, and there's no thank you, there's no sense that actually they're going to be doing it as, you know, back to you as well. And we kind of get a little bit tired of it. And maybe we do good things for the church as well. And there's no pat on the back, there's no encouragement, there's no, there's no hey, that was really good what you did. No thank you. And what Paul says is, don't stop. Let's not grow weary of doing good. Keep going, go again. And we look to the example of Jesus. Jesus went round doing good to all people. He didn't weary of doing good. He went to the cross. He you know, carried on and kept on going and going and going, even though those people around him were actually quite negative towards him. Well, they got him killed, didn't they? Okay, and so, and even his disciples, a lot of the time when you, when you look at his disciples, yeah, they were just like, Jesus, are you sure you want to be with these people or those people? And, but actually he kept on going, he kept on going because, because he was looking for, he wasn't looking for the rewards of those people around him, he was looking for his father's well done. And as we think about what we're doing ourselves, as we're thinking about let's not grow weary in doing good, it needs to stem from us knowing our identity in Jesus and also doing in his strength as well. Yeah, we, we know that we can't do it on our own. We need to do it in his strength. And, and the reason being that even if there's not a visible return at that point, there's a harvest on its way. The next bit of the verse says, For at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And when I read this, first of all, I was thinking, well, what, what is this harvest? Well, Paul actually doesn't tell us. He leaves us to guess. What he does say is that there'll be a harvest. And even if that's not in your lifetime, even if that's not, you know, this week or next week or in the next month, He's saying that there, there is going to be a harvest. As you do good for your family, there will be a harvest. As you do good for your friends, for your housemates, there will be a harvest. As you do good for the church, there will be a harvest. I was, I was privileged to um, be part of the, uh, the team in the early stages when Life Church Southampton was planted out of this church. And, and I saw many people who did lots of good things. And, and some of those people aren't at the church anymore. And, but they would have you know, given of their time, their efforts. They would have you know, got rid of the comforts of their own, of their own home and you know, moved to what actually to start with was just one family. And now that, that church is meeting across three sites and there's 250 people there meeting regularly. Yeah, it's a, it's a harvest. I'm not saying it's all about numbers, but it, it just shows where there's a harvest of something which is, you know, if everyone's just putting these little seeds out, actually there is a harvest which will come, even if you don't see it yourself. And maybe, maybe it's not, maybe it's not about us seeing the church grow. Maybe it's not 
Maybe it is. Maybe it's about us seeing the church grow. Maybe it's about us seeing individuals change, communities transformed. Maybe it's not an outward thing. Maybe actually that harvest comes inward as well. As we do good, our character changes, our nature changes, and we become more and more like Jesus. Actually, Paul doesn't say to us what it is, but he says there is a harvest coming. And so his encouragement is that, you know, don't grow weary, there will be a harvest. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. As we have opportunity. There's two things from this. Firstly, there will be opportunities. Yeah, it's not if you'll have an opportunity, it's as we'll have an opportunity. But also it should be releasing us as well. As we have opportunity, it doesn't mean you have to do good to every single person and every person in the world. Actually, what's your opportunity today? What's your opportunity in your, in your family today to do good? What is your opportunity this weekend to do good? It's as we have opportunity. Now, that might be speaking well of people. Yeah? It might be praying for someone in the, on the high street. It might be showing love to those around you in the way you interact with them. It might be clearing away the snow. Yeah? This, this literally happened as I was preparing this talk yesterday. I was looking out the window and there was a, an older gentleman from across the street and he was clearing away the snow so that when people came to drive on it, actually it was a lot safer for them. It's not always about uh, what, we would, what we would classify as, you know, evangelism and discipleship, actually doing good to people and showing them Jesus can take on a whole variety of different things. And it's as we have opportunity. And so if we're praying for opportunities, you start seeing things around you from Jesus' perspective. James, the brother of Jesus, he he writes a brilliant book and it is so hard-hitting and to the point. Um, if you haven't read it, I would encourage you. It's just five chapters and, yeah, it's really, really good. And he encourages us not to just say that we have faith but to put it into action. Not to just be someone who's a hearer but someone who is a doer. Now, so James two fourteen seventeen, What good is it, my brothers... If a man claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accomplished by action, is dead. Okay, that is hard hitting. And maybe, maybe this doesn't quite relate to you. Maybe you've never been in that situation where someone's come up to you and they're starving hungry and you've just been like, God bless you, um, eat well, but actually haven't given them any food. But maybe, as, as Christians, it can creep up on us that actually our, our faith and our actions don't always fully match up in the way they should. What we need, there's, we, we come from a church which has had some outstanding teachers over the years. And it's, it was very easy for me 
when I was part of this church for you know many years to write loads of notes and and try and think of more and more things and try and understand more about the Bible but not actually apply it to my life it's very easy to do that this it, it creeps up on you and all of a sudden those those notes that I'd taken they actually hadn't borne any fruit in my life at all so we need to be people who who not only try and know God more, who try and know his word more, but actually we seek to apply that into our lives more. Not just have theological discussions in community groups, but to be thinking, actually, how can we apply what we're learning into our lives? Because that's when Winchester's going to change. That's when our church is going to change, when actually people out there see that we're applying it to our lives. Not that we're just trying to do something academic and we're just trying to learn more and more and more. Yeah, we need to, we need to spring into action. Judah Smith is a pastor from America. He says this, Many people believe, if I know it, it's as good as doing it or acting on it. So I don't do it, I just know. And knowledge is power. False. For the only knowledge that is powerful is the knowledge that puts us into action. James, Judah, they're encouraging us to not just be people who hear God's word, but actually do something about it. God is a much greater life for us to lead. One which isn't simply amassing knowledge, but is of affecting those around us. Now, not only James in his, in, his, uh, in his book and Judah Smith talking to his church, they're talking to, you know, James was talking to believers. Yeah, it, it's not about their salvation. If you don't do good things, you don't spring it into action, well, you're not out, but you are missing out. Okay, you're missing out on a life that actually God wants for you. You're missing out on a life that reflects everything that Jesus has done for you. So let's actively step out and look for opportunities to do good for all. And then there's a last bit of this passage. Especially to those who are belonging to the family of believers. He doesn't, Paul doesn't just say, do good to all people. He actually gives a special mention to those who are part of the family of believers. And this is similar to... You know, when Jesus said, A new command I give you, love, that should say one rather than on, love one another. As I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. There's something about how we do good, about how we care, and about how we love for each other as Jesus followers that actually, actually shows the world who Jesus is. And who his disciples are called to be. When I was um, when I started at the church plant in in Southampton, um, I was just doing some volunteer stuff there and didn't have a lot of money. And some friends were going on a ski trip, and actually a couple of them knew that I couldn't afford it, and they offered to pay. They offered to pay for me to go. Yeah, and and actually not only did that bless me. But also when I then talked to other people and talked to some friends about the fact that I was going on this ski trip but actually my guys from church were paying for it, that, that meant that all of a sudden my friends were thinking, oh, it's a bit 
It's a bit strange, isn't it? It starts to show that love a little bit more. And it means that those around you will get a sense of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And Paul is talking into a context where basically in the Galatian church there were these Jewish Christians who were uh, Judaizers um, and they basically were saying to the Gentile Christians that they needed to follow parts of the Jewish law as well as follow Christ. And, and what Paul said to them is like, no, 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 guys, you are your one. You are all one family of believers. And we at Hope Church are becoming increasingly diverse. And it's so exciting to see. Yeah, we're an increasingly diverse church. And, and actually, people need to, to see that there is still a oneness. There is still a love. That, that we're a family of believers. It would be it would be really rubbish if everybody was like me in their late 20s, 32, but in their, in their late 20s and a teacher. It would be really boring. Okay? And actually, we want to celebrate that diversity. And if you're from a different background or, or you don't meet the social norm, whatever that even is, yeah, whatever that even means, then we want to say that you are welcome here and we want to celebrate the diversity because actually that is how the, the church and the diversity within the church shows people that, that there is just one and it's Jesus. That, that there's no hierarchy, that it was all one at the cross and that we are all just one at the cross. So it doesn't matter what your bank balance says. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter if you're at the end of a long life, at the beginning of a short life. It doesn't matter what your understanding of all kinds of things are. Actually, Jesus crossed over all those boundaries, and we must too. So as, as, we, as we finish, if you're a Christian here today, I want you to feel encouraged. I want you to feel spurred on. I want you to remember that God's goodness is for you. That this good, good God, this good Father, he is completely for you. Even though we deserved absolutely nothing. We, honestly, were as smelly as that bin in mine and size flat. Yeah, that's the reality. Yeah, we couldn't reach the mark. We couldn't hit the golf ball all the way to France. But actually, God made the way that we could do that. And so, we need to know the goodness of God this morning. If you're not a Christian here today, I just want to leave you with a verse from Psalms. I don't think I've got it on the screen. And it says, Psalm 34:8. It says, "Taste and see that the Lord is good." Maybe as I've been speaking, as you've been listening to some of the worship, you're not quite sure. I want to encourage you to take a step. I want to encourage you to taste and see that the Lord is good. Sometimes it will just have to be a case of you stepping out a little bit. Yeah, you just opening yourself up and being, God, are you there? Like, I'm hearing a lot about you. I want to taste and see that the Lord is good. If the band could come up... um, that would be great. And uh, they're going to lead us in a song which just is going to help us to fix our eyes on Jesus just as we finish. And 
I want to leave us with some verses from Colossians. It's all about Jesus, and if we could just yeah go into the song straight from this. If we stand up, actually, that would be really good. Then we can um, just go straight into it. It says in Colossians about Jesus, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Amen.